Chester. Ken loves talking about cars and automotive trends. And here he is, the automotive host with the most, Ken Chester. Right time, right place. Welcome to Word Worthy Drive with me, your host, Ken Chester. This is your spot to get the latest on what's going on and what you need to know as a smart consumer with automotive tech, trends, and consumer information. I've got over 30 years of assisting consumers and reporting on the latest new vehicles in the marketplace. Newer used, car, truck, I got the scoop. And more importantly, I want to share my vast knowledge with you, my faithful listener. And that's each and every week. As always, we have the news to share that I have found from the parts bin, which we will get to in a few minutes. If you desire to add your voice to the conversation, get in touch with me and the Roadworthy Drive crew is easy. Call or text me on the Roadworthy Drive line, that number, 872-222-9793. That number, good anytime, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Topics for the hour include 2017 list of longing, long, longest, cannot talk, longest lasting vehicles. And trust me, to even be considered in this list, the minimum is 200,000 miles. Car top camping and other RV adventures. You're going to want to stay tuned for that one. And then finally, the dangers of policies of high-speed police pursuits. I have what you need to know, so don't touch this dial. Before I go any further, please say hi to the other members of the Roadworthy Drive crew, the least opinionated and most caffeinated of the bunch, the designated adult in the room and at the controls, my friend and executive producer, Jack. Normally holding things down at mic two, but due to a snowstorm, is not with us, but is here via the telephone. Roadworthy Drive's resident geek and lover of all things techie, Sasha, who happens to be not in studio, but like I said, uh, MIA. And I believe, Jack, you called it her palatial residence somewhere in the countryside. Hi, Ken. Hey, Jack. Hey, Sasha. Hello, hello. Uh Uh-huh. So I'm assuming that your your servants have brought you lunch and that uh, all is well on your settee. My, my, my servants have indeed brought me something to nibble on, um, fresh grapes mm-hmm. from um, across the ocean and sipping the richest hot cocoa that you could possibly imagine. Oh, my. Oh, my. Yes. Okay. While the rest of us are sitting here with water. Uh, or pop, or pop. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. But we're we're struggling. We'll be glad to have you in studio next week. Yes, Sasha. we will. Okay, next week. Yeah. Y- next week. Okay, Ken. What's in the parts bin this week? April has been designated as Distracted Driving Awareness Month. Did you know that? Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah. Uh, in 2015, distracted drivers. You know the ones. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they killed 3,500 people in America on the roads. Oh. Some 391,000 more people were injured in motor vehicle crashes involving distracted drivers. And here's a fun fact. Did you know that drivers that are texting, tweeting, browsing, or using your cell phones in any way, and you know who you are, Jack and Sasha, are about four times more likely. And I'm going to say that one again. Four capital letters, 
four times more likely to be involved in a crash. And that's regardless of whether you're using Bluetooth or not. I have trouble so, believing that, but that's okay. I really don't. I, I really don't. Uh, because the problem is, and we've talked about it here, is, is literally driving blind that even though you see the road and you may be talking, you're not engaged with what's happening in front of you to the point. Now, we li- happen to live in a state where we've got plenty of wide open spaces. So it's easy yeah. for people to think that, you know, oh, I've got control of the car. I've never had a problem, whatever. According to the experts that monitor this kind of thing, they said just because you haven't had an accident and been texting and talking on the phone all the time doesn't mean you're that good. You're just that lucky. My brother's one yep. of those, too. Oh, I, I got this handle. I talk on Bluetooth all the time. Uh, he lives in Texas. Again, a little lot, more wide open spaces. Even th- than from here. Yes. I leave you with this. The National Highway Traffic Safety Administration says that during daylight hours, 660,000 drivers in the United States are using their cell phones while driving. An important potential for accidents that can ruin people's lives or end them. And you know the ones because they're always in the passing lane going about 40 miles an hour uh, or this sluggish or they're wandering even worse. I will tell you. I've seen all of that. I will tell you for my job, I do a lot of driving. Mm -hmm. And I cannot tell you how many times I pulled up next to somebody at a red light. Mm -hmm. And they're usually young Mm -hmm. who are texting. Which is illegal under certain circumstances in the state. Who are paying attention to their phone. Mm -hmm. And then the light changes and they're wondering why they're getting honked at. I rest my case. Imagine Mm -hmm. they're doing that at speed, say 60, 65, 70 miles an hour. Oh, yeah. I see You're it talking on the... a fraction of a second. Yep. I see it on the interstate all the time. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. I, I just thought I would, I would bring that to y'all's attention. Now, uh, another thing. We've got another Chinese-backed uh, vehicle manufacturer getting ready to offer an electric, uh, a, an electric vehicle for sale in America. Okay. And who is the company? It's SF Motors. Okay. Uh, we reported on a plant they bought. Uh, in Michigan, I'm sorry, Indiana, they bought the old AM General plant that used to make Hummers. Okay. Okay. They bought that plant. They've got R&D facilities both in Michigan and in California. They even have doing a venture with the University of Michigan relative to electric cars and autonomous cars right now. Okay. That's a good place to be. Yeah. They're looking at introducing what they call the SF5 electric crossover. It's a luxury crossover. They're talking 300 miles of range. Uh, they're talking, they've got, they'll have a top-end trim level in this thing that will generate 1,000 horsepower with a 0 to 60 time, and, and, and as Jack would say, wait for it, uh-huh. less than three seconds. Sasha, Ooh. what could possibly uh-huh. go wrong? <laughs> I mean, yeah. just because it's a Model S with, dare I say it, I'll say it. Yeah, there he goes. Ludicrous uh-huh. speed. He's looking for it. Ludicrous speed. Go. <laughs> you, you better not chat. I'm much better now. Okay, great. Mm-hmm. Um, they are expecting to take orders end of this year with delivery middle of next year. Okay, so they're actually going to build them here. Yes. Okay. Uh, the the okay. AM General plant. Okay, and how many do they think they're going to get out a year? They didn't say. Did they give a price? No. 
Uh, but uh, the key there, luxury. So I'm going to say someplace around 50 or more. Yeah. Would be, yeah. So, yeah. And this is, this is on top of uh, companies called Byton, Lucid, Faraday Future, and even Volvo has a spinoff called Polestar, all J- Chinese-backed companies getting ready to sell some sort of electric vehicle in the United States. Oh, okay. So, again, I say, like we said in a, previ- in a previous hour about regulation, really? They'll just work around it. Oh, you want to regulate uh, the emissions of my internal combustion engine? Not a problem. What if I'm selling a vehicle that doesn't emit anything? Yep. Then they've got nothing. Exactly. Uh, yeah. Just saying. Unintended consequences. Um, before we go to the break, I-, I got this one for you. Jack will get a kick out of this. Rolls-Royce is considering an electric vehicle. Oh. Okay, now that's almost bordering on sacrilegious. Uh, well, you oh. know why? But it is uh, Again, lar- largest market is where? China. What is China doing? Clamping down on emissions? emissions yep. Um, yep. Yeah. May I quote, in China, one of Rolls-Royce's biggest markets, regulators are implementing clean, ch- clean vehicle quotas to ease pollution. Now, bear in mind, all y- Rolls-Royce, which is owned by BMW, makes what we call a bespoke car. In other words, you don't walk into a showroom and point at a Rolls-Royce and says, I'll take that one. All these are custom made. Yep. You know, so the fact that they're to a point where a small, high-priced manufacturer would feel compelled to offer an electric car, spend all that additional money to develop this powertrain and everything up to those standards... That really says something about where this industry is going to me, if anything. And we reported here BMW was one of the first companies to say it about two, three years ago. We're going completely electric. Well, and Ford wasn't that much further behind them. Yeah, but Ford's not going totally electric. They've got Team Edison. But BMW is eliminating or planning to eliminate the internal combustion engine in coming years completely. Imagine a BMW... The ultimate driving machine from a performance standpoint that doesn't burn a drop of fuel. Food for thought. Uh, Coming up next, the 2017 list of longest lasting vehicles. Prepare to be amazed. You're riding shotgun with Ken and Roadworthy Drive. Roadworthydrive.com is the place to keep up with the latest happenings with Ken and the show.
Welcome to Roadworthy Drive. I'm your host, Ken Chester. So glad you could join us. Car finding service iccars.com recently released its top 20 longest-lasting vehicles list for 2017. The Boston-based auto research firm conducted a study back in March that identified all cars with at least 200,000 miles that had changed hands in their system over the previous year. Sorting through some 13 million cars from 1981 model year on, the requirements that the vehicles had to be still in production, sold a reasonable volume, and had a measurable number of high-mileage units. And I wanted to share what they found. Now, it's a little bit different than Consumer Reports. They're actually, this firm actually considers themselves the kayak of the car uh, buying business. In other words, if you're selling a car, they can put that together. If you're looking for a particular car, as opposed to going dealer to dealer, it don't matter. They'll find you the best deal according to your parameters. And, uh, th- in fact, they say that uh, the average car shopper visits 18 different websites in their search for a car. IC Cars aggregates and analyzes data daily from over 75% of all used car listings in the United States onto a single site. Which really? Means, yeah, which means if you can't find it there, you ain't going to find it anywhere. So I'm going to skip number 20 on this list. Now, mm-hmm. remember, just for this conversation, remember all the cars in this list that longest-lasting cars start at 200,000 miles. Or higher. Ooh. Or higher. Wow. Um, okay. Number 20, Chevy Impala. Number okay. 19, Toyota Camry. Number 18, yeah. one you might not have thought of, Nissan Altima. I'm sorry, Maxima. Maxima. Uh, and okay. here's one point they make. Consumer Reports has never put a Maxima on its list of used cars to avoid. Ever. Hmm. Now, you better hold on to something. Number 17 is going to kind of blow you away. Cadillac Escalade. That does not surprise me. Okay, now, tw- well, go ahead. What year are they saying? Well, typically, remember what we said for, for the years from 81 on, but Escalade wasn't made until the late 90s. Right. So now this is what they say about this. While 2015 and 2016 models got thumbs down on reliability, earlier Cadillac Escalades rank among the top performing luxury cars in their study. Okay. All right. And the older that they are, the more people like them. Uh-huh. Now, See, now, and that's why I was asking, because I know for like the older Maxima, the older um, uh, Escalade, Absolutely. I mean, those things, they made them almost like a tank. I mean, mm-hmm. they, they just kept on well, going. I mean, put, so put long a, as you took care of them. Put a pin in that. We'll be back to that. Number 16, <laughs> Ford Taurus. The what? Ford Taurus. Uh, yeah, yeah, which, I'm which, just which saying. was a really reliable car, guys. Yeah. Uh, number 15, not surprising. And it's interesting. It's number 15, and you'll understand why. Lincoln Navigator. What? Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I would have thought that one to be higher in the list. N- nearly 2% of all navigators sold in 2016 showed 200,000 miles or more on the odometer. That was double the nearest Mercedes. Number 14, GMC Sierra pickup. Okay. Uh, GMC right. Sierra cracked fif- top 15 with 2% of the models reaching 200,000 miles. Bear in mind, they sell hundreds of thousands of these. Yep. Um, here you go. Here you go, Jack. Number 13. Um, the nation's bestseller, Ford F-150. I would have thought that had been higher up. Yeah. 
Yeah, 2.1% of all F-150s showed 200,000 more or more miles on the dash when they sold in 2016. Um, If you check consumer reports and ratings of used cars, you will not find a single light-duty Ford pickup that's not recommended. Okay. Number 12. Remember GMC Sierra? Mm -hmm. Here's the twin, Chevy Silverado. The interesting point, they make way more Silverados than they make uh, Sierras. And again, I would have thought that would have been up higher on the list. Yeah, Um, Yeah, it makes me curious. Number 11. And actually, we're going to go 10 and 11. Number 11, Honda Odyssey, Odyssey, the minivan. Mm. Number 10, Honda Accord. Neither one of those surprised me. Yeah, but these are higher than the Camry. I know. More of these reach 200,000 miles than do Camry. I thought that and was that surprises noise. me. Yeah. Um, number nine, Toyota Tacoma pickup, the small one. Mm. Number eight uh, would be the Toyota Avalon, and I can personally speak to that. I put a number of people in those cars that are still running. Huh. In fact, my, my brother and sister-in-law bought one brand new in 05. Mm-hmm. They're still running it. Wow. And, and things performing flawlessly. 2.6% of all Avalon sold in 2016 had over 200,000 miles on them. Now, on that same platform of the Cadillac Escalade, number seven, uh, GMC Yukon. Mm-hmm. Number six, same platform, Chevy Tahoe. Yep. Okay. Number five, same platform, GMC Yukon XL, the big one. Mm-hmm. Number four, believe it or not, Toyota 4Runner. What? 4.7% of all 4Runners that sold in 2016 had over 200,000 miles on them. Number three, again, they make a lot of them, Chevy Suburban. Again, that whole platform. That's the plant down in Arlington that's running three shifts a day, seven days a week. week, And you would think for all those vehicles they built, the quality would slide. No, sir. Um, You know, no. Number two. Toyota Sequoia, again, not surprised, built in uh, uh, Princeton, Indiana. Not a surprise. They said 5.6% of all Sequoias sold in 2016 had over 200,000 miles on them. And in the number one spot, number one, I almost Mm -hmm. should ask for a drum roll, Ford Mm -hmm. Expedition. Wow. Number one. More Expeditions. Sold in 2016 with over 200,000 miles than any other car in their top 20. The question that I would have, what mm-hmm. would, how many of the old excursions, the old Ford excursions yeah. are on the road still running today, yep. and I just saw yeah. one on a pop-up ad on something that I was looking at and you, online. And, and there may be, but they've been out of production for some time, too. And in addition to no longer being made, um, you know, there's a finite number of them out there. Yep. So, yeah, a little perspective there. For, for folks to consider. Coming up, camping on top of your car. Yeah, it's a thing. Roadworthy Drive with Ken Chester is hooted exclusively on the Roadworthy Drive radio network. Listening to Roadworthy Drive with Ken Chester on the Roadworthy Drive Radio Network.
If you're just tuning in, welcome to the second half of this hour of Roadworthy Drive. I'm Ken Chester. If you're one of those that need more than your fair share of the road, be sure to check out the show website, roadworthydrive.com. Discover video clips of the Roadworthy Drive crew, behind the scenes in the studio, listen to audio clips of prior shows, and more. Sasha is our social media guru, keeping things interesting and entertaining as she shares all things automotive tech with you on social media during the week between shows. See how she keeps the social in our social media. You'll be glad you did. Camping. How are they in? No, 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 no. Camping. You know, roughing um, it, being out in the woods in, amidst the moose with the deer and okay. the antelope play. Sasha and so you're I. You're talking Motel 6. Sasha and no. I agree. Roughing <laughs> it for me is how are they in? You guys, is that your idea of roughing it, Jack? Yes, sir. Oh, my. My idea of how, no, I'll go, I'll. I know the I'm country girl did little... not just say. A hotel. I know yes, you did. she did. Wow. I, I said Hotel 6. We're taking your country card. My... We're taking your country card. No, I mean, I, I'm just saying. Uh-uh. I live uh-uh. country. When I want to rough it and go without the, you know, mm-hmm. the extras mm-hmm. in life, mm-hmm. I will stay at a Motel 6. Wow. Okay. So All right. Camping. Wait a minute. The great American road trip still embodies the freedom so deeply rooted in our culture, no matter what Jack and Sasha say. Uninhibited, Ooh. spontaneous, independent. And as you're finding out, until you have to sleep. Uh, Mm -hmm. Lately, more travelers are embracing an old school solution with a twist. Perching tents atop of vehicles instead of pitching them deep in the woods. Well, and I've seen a bunch of those advertised lately, too. Uh, You realize... Are we talking about the tents that, like, they'll go on to the backside of, like, SUVs? No. No. So on, these actually go on top. On the, on the roof. roof. Looks, and not just an SUV. Looks like a car carrier until you unfold what? it. It looks like a car like a, a carrier you'd keep your luggage in on top of the roof. Yeah, it's secured. You put a tent up there. You have a ladder. It's mm-hmm. secured to the roof rails. Yep. And uh, it's they sell different types. And to be honest with you, uh, before the growth of the RV industry, after the Second World War, mm-hmm. people, when they, quote-unquote, camped, slept in their cars and some modifications therein. And some automakers yeah. even accommodated some of that. Uh, one of yep. the last ones, uh, yeah, that the teenagers used to love. Uh, you um, realize the Nash Metropolitan had seats that folded flat. Yep. Yeah. Many folks from the 50s could attest to that. We will not speculate how many children... <laughs> Uh, were conceived in a Nash Rambler Metropolitan. Yep. Uh, but yeah. Anyway. Uh, yeah. The beautiful these these mini pop up sleeping quarters are specifically designed to sit steadily on platforms anchored to the vehicle's roof rack. Stowed like Jack said, the tents collapse into slim cases about eight inches high, like a cargo box. But when intrepid road trippers call it a day, they simply park, unlatch their tent, prop it up. And climb in for the night. Much easier than preparing a campsite. No critters, no uncomfortable ground, no bears. Well, and the, and the bears, I think I would be more worried about than anything. The interesting thing is this has been this has been a craze that's been going on and growing in intensity for the last five years. Um, part of they they contribute part of this to the tiny house craze. I don't get it, but hey, it, they say it's a thing. Yeah, it is. Uh, the hashtag van life movement 
social media users who document their adventures in vans retrofitted as living spaces. Uh, excuse me, 1970s shag van. Hello. Yep. Anybody? Yep. You well, don't remember those didn't, days? Didn't BW make one where the rope the popped up? The Westphalia. Okay. Yeah. But even before that. Um, back in a previous life, when I sold vehicles back in the 70s, conversion vans were all a rage. Oh, yeah. Yes, they were. So, yeah, van, hashtag van. van life, hashtag old school. Hashtag, yes. I'm just saying. So now, yeah. a renewed interest in small travel trailers among free spirits, another reason, who seek, and I quote, unconventional vacations. Now, these roof tents come in two categories. Soft shell, kind of akin to your basic forest floor tent, but are typically crafted with tougher fabrics like rip ripstop canvas. Hard shell dwellings, on the other hand, cost more but feature sturdier aerodynamic casings so that you can open them more easily and quickly with help from hydraulic struts. Now, they all come uh, with folding access ladders and foam mattresses, which crucially elevate comfort level compared to the bumpy slumber of sleeping on the ground, you chickens. Been there. Boy Scouts. Hey, loved it. Camped the, in the wintertime, too. The ground and I will never become one. Wow. I know, right? Yeah. Wow. See, Where are the sense. nature lovers? I love camping if you take me off-grid, off-time, and I'm literally sleeping in, like, a meadow or something. I think that's okay. The ground is you can, here, Here's what you do, Sasha. Take, yes. your, take your van, drive to the middle of a meadow, pitch your mm-hmm. tent on, on top of your van, and there you are, in the middle yeah, of the meadow, off grid. Done. I, I'm looking. I'm looking at these, and I can't see where anyone would think that on top of the van makes you less susceptible to like bears, moose. In. <laughs> I mean, you were right there at eye level, basically. Yeah. Well, can I tell you a secret? Yeah, I would rather be on the top of my car than in a forest floor level tent. Let that sink in for a minute. I would rather be in the tent on the floor. No, 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 no. Would you believe? No, I like yeah. Would you believe that these things have increased fivefold last year in sales? That doesn't surprise me. Look it at does the, not surprise me at all. Look at the RV industry and how well that's going right now. Yeah. But this is for people. I mean, you're talking. Let me give you an example. Uh, the TP, that's spelled T-E-P-U-I, White Lightning, um, their two-person tent can, can support a roof rack to securely fasten gear like bikes, kayaks, surfboards. Cost $3,800. Another mm-hmm. one, the Yakima Skyrise, designed for vacationers with small cars. Hey, not because they not everybody's small car haters. So yay for the small cars. Camping in the country, off the grid, small car. Hey, um, closely resembles a traditional ground tent. Once you reach your destination, it flips open and sets up in minutes. And the rack system makes for quick installation removal from roof and off-season. That starts at about $1,100. Then finally, for y'all that, that need to, you know, deal with hostile conditions, they call it Front Runner Featherlight, made from heavy-duty ripstop canvas crafted to hold up in hostile conditions. You Now, this is for you, Sasha. Campers yes. can even add a drop-down annex that forms a second room on the ground. See, I like that. A two-story tent. A two-story tent. I'm yes, I will take one. Uh, yeah. Yes. The main tent opens easily in one motion and is about eight inches high when closed, and it ain't that much. They're talking from thirteen hundred dollars. 
I'm looking at one right now that's about 1900 So, 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 there, so there you go. If I'm going to camp, I'm going to be in a Class A diesel pusher motorhome. Boy Ooh. has no appreciation. Okay. Oh, I do. My back would love me in a, in a Class A pusher. <laughs> oh, wow. That's all I'm saying. Well, folks, finally, the dangers of high-speed pursuit. But you already knew that, right? This is Roadworthy Drive. This is Roadworthy Drive. Some people fly in a wing and a prayer. Some people fly a wing and a half. And we're kind of flying a wing and a half here. This is the last part of this hour of Roadworthy Drive. I'm Ken Chester and might even figure out how to talk, get calmed down. We've got. That would be nice. Yeah. Well, yeah. I'll, I'll say it again. That would be nice. Mike's on too would be nice. It's yes. A, that it's would a do. thing. Yes. We, we, we've got challenges in the studio. We've got Sasha on the phone. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's kind of a different day here with the Roadworthy Drive crew. And this is the last installment of this hour, thank God. I'm not sure we could get through another hour, but here we are. <laughs> um, let's talk about something a little less um, intense, like, uh, I don't know, high-speed police pursuits. That would be intense on it all by itself. Could be. In current, uh, co- yeah, this talking thing, you know? According to according to the Bureau of Justice Statistics of the federal government, state and local law enforcement agencies together conducted an average of 186 vehicle pursuits a day for a total of 68,000. That's in one year. Last year they had studied, had kept records of it, 2012. According to the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration's Vitality Analysis Reporting System, there were more than 6,000 fatal pursuit-related crashes in the 20 years, 1996 to 2015. 7,000 people died as a result, and here's how it broke down. 65% of them, the occupants of the vehicle being pursued. However, 29% were people who died in vehicles that weren't even involved in a pursuit. And then finally... Bystanders, people standing around when this went down, it got hit, was 4% of 280 people. And the least number were the police officers doing the chasing. Of that 7,000 people killed, 70 of them were, were peace officers, which oh. was 70 too many. But well, in Denegay's, this well, is 7,000 too many. Exactly. And my question to you, Ken, is don't most jurisdictions now have a cutoff point or policies in place that said a pursuit has to end if you reach this criteria? Well, from what from what my research was, it's not quite that blanket. Now, I, okay. will, I will tell you that 97% of, well, actually all your state police and most of your local police have written pursuit policy procedures in place. Mm -hmm. The biggest challenge happens when those procedures allow what they call officer discretion in determining. 
Now, in my research, they brought up an interesting point, though, and this was the report that they had referenced that was actually produced by the federal government back in 1990 relative to guidelines uh, concerning high-speed police pursuits. The issue is that if you have a no-pursuit policy and the community knows that above a certain point, you ain't going. Yeah. Does that tend to lead to more violent crime and people that know if I just drive away from you high speed, you're not going to chase me? Yep. I would agree with that. So there's yeah. there's that. So to re, to keep is actually there's like three points in order to keep um, credibility. There are times when a chase is justified, but typically violent criminals. Something really dire. In other words, they're not going to chase you for a misdemeanor. They're not going to chase you. No, but they will. Cha- like they that. will chase you for kidnapping a child. Yeah, I mean, for something very serious. Yeah, they will. Um, let's see now. Uh, they say that the majority of the local police departments, seventy-one percent, sixty-three percent of sheriff's offices, and fifty-three percent of state law enforcement have a policy that restricted pursuits based on specific criteria, such as speed, type of offense, and surrounding conditions. Like, for example, here's an example. Um, You cannot start a chase if you're not in a vehicle that is identified as a police car. Lights, uh, graphics, Does that that count for an unmarked police car? Exactly. It does? It does. Unmarked police car for a high-speed chase doesn't count in a lot of uh, jurisdictions. Wow. Well, think about it. You know, anybody can get lights. Now that's yep. true. You know. See, and I've been, I've been one of those women that I got pulled over one time by an unmarked car, and I called nine one one to make sure that it was an actual officer. Mm-hmm. And it, I mean, and it was no disrespect, but I slowed down to like twenty miles an hour, and mm-hmm. I made them stay on the phone with me until they actually called the officer behind me. To state why I was still moving, if what slowly, because you you don't know. Mm-hmm. Like I had mentioned before, all state police and highway patrol agencies and ninety seven percent of local police departments have a written pursuit policy. Mm-hmm. In general, the rate of vehicle pursuits and the likelihood of fatal accidents is highest in departments that leave pursuit decisions to officer discretion. Now I thought I thought that we could solve this by using what's called I think the radio. Yeah. And and having units get in front of this guy? If you can, but that doesn't always work that well, way. Well, that's true. Um they've got this breakdown by states. I'm going to give you the top 10, the bottom 5, and if I've got time real quick, uh an option. Uh 10th, Oklahoma, 9, Missouri, 8, believe it or not, Vermont. Surprise me. Georgia, number seven. New Mexico, number six. South Carolina, South Carolina, number five. South Dakota, number four. Number three, Wyoming. Okay. Number two, Arizona. And the number one state for uh, pursuit-related deaths and that chances that you will get into a high-speed pursuit, Alabama. Really? Alabama. What? Yeah. Now, really quickly, the lowest. Number 50, Hawaii. Number 49, surprise me, New York State. That that is a surprise. Number 48, Iowa. 
Yay. Number 47, Mississippi. And the fifth lowest, believe it or not, New Jersey. Wow. That surprised me. Where did California fall on that list? Uh, you know, they've got it, but I didn't look it up okay. because there's 50. Let me give you an option really quick to a high-speed chase. It's called a tracking device that they can put on the exterior of the car, aim, shoot at it, sticks to the car, and they can track it with GPS. I like that. Mm -hmm. You know, it helps with special equipment, delivery, tracking, and capture, and then they can back off. Well, so, what about using, you know, like you've got the drone option, you've got um, you've got helicopter. I mean, in this day and age, there are other solutions. Indeed, indeed they are. Um, I turn people's attention to the U.S. Department of Justice, National Institute of Justice. Restrictive policies for high-speed police pursuits it was written in 1990. <laughs> and that wraps up another hour of Roadworthy Drive. On behalf of the Roadworthy Drive crew, thanks for listening. This has been Roadworthy Drive with Ken Chester. Roadworthy Drive with Ken Chester is a copyrighted presentation of the Roadworthy Drive Radio Network. Any rebroadcast, retransmission, or any other use is prohibited without the written consent of the Motor News Media Corporation.